Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. You can open to Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to review a little bit. We've been talking about sanctification. We're in the third part now. If you want to catch up, you need to go back and listen to the other two. They're available online on the website, faithfamilybillings.com. You can listen to them there. Every believer's most significant need is spiritual maturity. How many would agree with that? Praise God. Many times as believers, we do not realize the significant impact an unsanctified or carnal lifestyle is having on our life here on earth. As Christians, we are called to live a sanctified life, a separated life, or you might say a holy life. Every truly born-again believer desires to live a life that is free from sin. Would you say amen to that? We desire this because we love God and do not want to live a life that He did not design for us. Sin is contrary to our nature if we're born again. Now, people say, oh, it sure doesn't feel like it's contrary. That's because you're aware of your flesh, not your spirit. Okay? We're going to get into the renewal of the mind, the importance of it again here today. But so, every truly born-again believer does desires to love, live a life that is free from sin. We desire this because we love God and do not want to live a life that, is not, that He did not design for us. Sin is contrary to our nature. Sin has a harvest, and the harvest is death, which is Satan's nature. In this series, we are allowing the Word of God to transform our thinking. We are seeing the godly potential of a sanctified life. Living a sanctified life is like living in the promised land. How many are, would like to live in the promised land? Amen. Living a carnal life or unsanctified life is like living in the wilderness. The Lord prospers you, but you can't control your love of ice cream and you lose your money because you buy too much ice cream. That's unsanctified. It's okay to get some ice cream, just don't spend all your money on ice cream. Amen. <laughs> People say, the Lord blessed me. I bought three new boats. <laughs> sanctification sanctification this word I'm not going to even uh, attempt to tell you what it is in the Greek but this word means to make holy to purify or consecrate to hallow or to be holy to separate from things profane and dedicate to God this word carries the idea of removing our lives from one place or position into another to be used by God for his purpose we are now currently in the meat of the message, the primary point that the Lord would like us to emphasize, and that is, and you have to go back and listen to the three parts of sanctification, but experiential sanctification. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse number 10 says this. In the New Living Translation, it says, Using a dull axe requires great strength, so sharpen the blade. That's the value of wisdom. It helps you succeed. People say, well, I'm trying to get rid of this sin in my life, but you're swinging with a dull axe. You say, what is, what is the point of teaching the word? What is the point of discipling believers? You are sharpening your axe. So uh, you could picture it kind of like this, and this is how I've heard it illustrated. But if you had a bunch of guys that were loggers, and they, they had axes, and they were... This is before chainsaws, of course. 
but you're, they're going out to clear an area of the forest that they've been hired and assigned to clear. And there was a bunch of men, we'll say there's about seven or eight men, and two of them sit down when, the, when their day starts and start sharpening their axe. And six of them run out and start swinging like wildfire. And they're going to town and they're sweating and they're chopping down. And finally they get through one tree and then two trees. And over there are two men, or to be more inclusive, a man and a woman, because we know a woman can swing an axe too, because you know, we don't want to you know, hurt somebody's feelings. Anyway, so they're sharpening their axe. And after about a half hour, maybe an hour, they go out into the forest and they begin to chop down trees. And all of a sudden, within an hour, they've already caught all the dull axes. And then in a two hours later, maybe, maybe three hours later, they are now well past all the dull axes. And some of the dull axes realize, oh, we should have sharpened. So now they are sitting down to sharpen when they should have done it. People say, well, I want to go to church and I want to, you know, have just prophetic words, just prophetic words, just prof discipleship requires sharpening, sharpening requires steady activity of hearing the word on a single subject over and over and over and over. If you honor God, you honor his word. People say, well, I'm just not making very much progress in this area of my life. How sharp is your axe? I'm not making progress in living a holy life. I, I, I keep sinning in this one area over and yielding to the flesh over and over and over again. Maybe your axe is dull. It needs what? Sharpening. And what you find is with a sharpened blade, you exert less strength, which means you have strength for other things. Amen? How many are in this place? How many could say with me, I haven't arrived, but I've left? <laughs> okay? Now, in the spirit, we know that Christ has provided everything for us. We're not begging God for, you know, extra graces in the sense that we're not asking him to do things that he's already done in Christ. But we are asking for wisdom and understanding on how to apply what he's already done in Christ. Amen? And that's sharpening that axe. That's getting that honed in. That's, that's, you're learning to where you are so consistently obeying and responding by the word of God that you are having an effect on the world around you that is accurate, it is precise, it is light, and it is specific and effective. And you almost do it with very little, it seems like strength on your part. Because you've worked or you've gotten over into the strength of the Lord. We saw this in Philippians chapter 2 verse number 12. You don't have to turn there. But I'm going to read it from the Amplified, and this is where we left off last week. Paul said this to the Philippians, Therefore, my dear ones, if you have, as you have always obeyed in my, um, in my 
or my, in the Amplified, it says, my suggestion, so now not only with the enthusiasm you would show in my presence, but much more because I am absent. Work out, he said, cultivate, carry to the goal, and fully complete your own salvation with reverence and awe and trembling. With self-distrust and serious caution, tenderness of conscience, watchfulness against temptation, timidity, shrinking from whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Christ. Verse 3. Don't work in your own strength, not in your own strength. For it is God who is all the while, what, effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire both to will and to work for his good pleasure and, and satisfaction and delight. We looked at the responsibility we have as believers to respond in faith to the reality of the nature of Christ within us. We looked uh, specifically at the phrase, work out your own salvation. There was a lot said concerning these verses, and we don't have time to review it all, but for context, for, for, uh, for context moving forward, we saw this. The Philippian believers now need to step further into God's plan and grow up. Somebody look at your neighbor right now and say, you need to grow up. This is going to bless everybody. Now, now go ahead and look at your other neighbor and say, you need to grow up. Now, now point to yourself and say, I need to grow up. This letter isn't just written to the Philippians, it's written to us. God placed salvation within us. We need to bring it out. It needs to be manifested in our everyday walk before the world. Notice, though, that it's our own salvation that we're to be working out, not everyone else's. Well, if I could just get to so-and-so, I could really teach them something. Work it out. We cannot live each other's lives. We have all have a full-time job running our own. We're to do it with fear and trembling. This indicates an obsession to do it right. Maximum effort should go into our outward life before the world. God does a perfect job in placing the new birth in us. What God does in us has no mistakes. However, our own efforts express the, to express the new birth and actions can be flawed. We need to see our every action as an outward witness to the world. Working out our salvation is allowing the word of God to govern what we think, say, and do. Working out our salvation is allowing the word of God to govern what we think, what we say, and how we do our life. Don't think of God as a fuddy-duddy. He has fun in the process. Let's turn to, uh, you're already there, but Romans 12, 1 and 2, and tie this thought of working out our salvation in with this. Before we go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and 2. Everybody knows this verse for the most part. This is part of the process of experiential sanctification. I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy acceptable to God which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The message paraphrase says this of verse 1 and verse 2. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture. Well, did you see what the, what the uh, I almost said the Obama administration. It might as well be. All right, I'll get off that. But the Biden administration is doing here and here and here and here. Don't get well adjusted to the culture. Rather, stand in, in, in the, the, the truth of the word of God and begin to declare the truth of the word of God with those around you. Oftentimes people think, well, how does change happen? How do, how do things change one heart at a time? Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in to it without even thinking. Well, it's just the culture of the day. I mean, God adjusts to the culture. He does not. He is the God who changes not. Instead, it says, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I like that. Develops well-formed maturity in me. So we see in verse 1 that we're to present our body a living sacrifice. This is experiential sanctification. The Life in the Spirit New Testament commentary says this, the Christian is a living sacrifice, which means that worship is transferred out of the temple and into the streets. I love that. In short, the degree of personal responsibility is heightened for the one who walks in the Spirit instead of according to the law. Now, I'm going to make some statements here because grace is a huge subject right now, and it should be. It should be emphasized. But did you know that since we're actually not under the law, that we actually have greater power to obey? Did you know that grace is not an empowerment to do whatever you want or whatever your flesh desires? Now we're going to get into the issues of the day, including in the church. You know, people say, well, I'm under grace. And so they think they can lie. I'm talking about in the church. Well, I'm just under grace. If you're under grace, you're empowered by grace. If you're empowered by grace, there is no lie in your spirit. You have yielded to your flesh. And that is sin. Amen. Amen. So in short, the degree of personal responsibility, what does that mean? That means what? Here's my whole life, Lord. I thank you that you've empowered me to live sanctified. 
Lord, you've empowered me to overcome every sin. Now, I'm not going to get into it in in depth today, but Paul, we're going to go into Romans chapter 6, and it is going to eat your religious lunch because it has been eating mine. But what we're going to see is is that we are empowered to live on a level that we have not acknowledged or seen as possible. Paul makes statements like, how can you who have died to sin live in it any longer? Come on, scoot in a little bit closer to the table. Go ahead and pick up your steak knife and get your fork and get ready to not have this. Here comes the food. It's the airplane coming to the hay. You say, what are you saying, preacher? This is going to be meat, which means you're going to have to chew. I know, I prefer, you know, people prefer spiritually pureed uh, peaches. But how many enjoy a good steak? Ooh, Jesus. Not that fake veggie stuff, you know, that, not that good old beef. You know, people, (laughs) you remember that when the prodigal son came home, they killed the fatted calf not the lean beef calf just proving just proving my dietary (laughs) we're we're to give ourselves a living okay do not be conformed to to the world the word world here in verse 2 refers to the spirit which moves Uh, humans contrary to the will of God, the spirit of selfishness, the pleasing of self, and submission to the devil. It's rendered in another translation, excuse me, this way. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. If a believer allows their thinking to be or remain conformed to the spirit of the world... It will hinder or stop the sanctification process that began at the new birth. This is what causes frustration in a believer's life. You know in your heart that you are free, but your thinking is still worldly. This locks up the power of the resurrection within you. So you're not to be conformed. You're to be what? Transformed, which we all know is metamorphosis, correct? So in the animal world, um, this occurs in amphibians, insects, and fish. This Greek word means to change or transform in shape. It entails, this is just simply off the internet, this is off Google. Transformation or metamorphosis entails an immature form transitioning into adulthood in distinct stages, going from one type of life form to a completely different one. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal. Come on, not the removal. I know Pentecostals. 
I know word of faithers. They're like, oh, I'm just going to float around and just see what the Spirit says. Usually those are the most unspiritual people that I've met in the church. Not always, but usually. Well, I don't ever read my Bible because, you know, it's just, you know, I have the Spirit within me. Lord, help me say it right. Jesus, I'm a sanctified vessel. I love the people. (laughs) You're missing it. Well, I just pray. That's all I do. I pray. That's all I do. I pray. I pray. I pray. I pray. The scripture actually says in Proverbs, if you pray without knowing the word, your prayer is an abomination. Just say amen. Or say oh me, one or the other. I know that's not always for everybody, but it's for somebody. (laughs) No, the other side of it is, you you can be so heady, you're no spiritual good. You can be legalistic. You need the word in your life. The Bible doesn't say desire the sincere milk of your prayer life that you may grow thereby. It says the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Growth comes from the word. So transformation takes place here. A change of the form or nature of a thing or person into a completely different one by natural or supernatural means. The renewing indicates present continuous action on the mind. I love this. Be renewed. In the new birth, the believer receives a renewed spirit. John chapter 3 verse 1 through 8 says this. This is regeneration. The continuous renewing of the mind is a major part of the process of sanctification. When one's mind is being renewed by fellowship through the word of God and prayer, it becomes easy to know and live in God's perfect will. Bob Yandian said it this way, this is a key to maturity. Stop being alarmed by, by or even impressed with circumstances. Instead, be changed by what the word of God has to say about life. Circumstances can change, and often do, but the Word of God never changes and cannot. Circumstances will never change the Word of God, but the Word of God will change circumstances. The renewing of the mind, learning to think according to the Scripture, having the mind of Christ, is one of the real keys to success in the Christian life. This maturity helps you see life as it truly is and move through circumstances as Jesus himself did when he was on the earth. A renewed mind also helps you mature in the ever-improving will of God for your life. You begin in the good will of God, progress into the more acceptable will of God, and finally end up in the perfect will of God, which I would say this is maturity and a maximum effectiveness on the world around you from the resurrection within you. Okay? A final thought on Romans concerning Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. In short, the heightened responsibility of the Christian not only involves a life of worship that extends beyond particular times and places of sacrifice, but also entails a personal responsibility to determine how such a life is to be lived. In contrast to Judaism in which the law prescribes righteous conduct or duties, Christianity requires a degree of personal discernment, or I would say fellowship. So in other words, you're not bringing animals in here for me to cut up and lay on the altar. The law was very rigid, right? 
in the way it operated. The spirit of grace lives within you and he forms or transforms your thinking and then your world into what he desires. So where uh, uh, somebody might say, well, I have to, I, I'm called to the construction world. That's where I work. You go there. That's your place. That's your place to affect what's going on there. I'm not called there. So it's going to look a little bit different for me. But in essence, who is going? The nature of Christ, which means it will have an effect wherever you are if you're living in fellowship with him. Consequently, it is by means of internal change rather than through the adherence to an external code that the Christian is to avoid conformity to the pattern of this world. Christian transformation works from the inside out. And Paul talks about that here in Romans 12. All right, let's look at Romans chapter 6, verse 1, and then we'll end. Just so we can say we got into it. I've been reading this chapter over and over and over in different translations, trying to, uh, just giving the Lord opportunity to change and show me how to see and declare and share this with you. We live in an interesting world. Do you know what the imbalances are in the church? There's imbalances. You know what they are? The imbalances right now in the church are legalism and lasciviousness. Ditch one, ditch two. We're called to live here. Legalism and lasciviousness. And this is my goal, so you can be believing with me, to be able to walk in the middle of the road and declare what needs to be declared and speak what needs to be speak, spoken without getting people into legalism and without giving them the idea that they can just live like the devil. Because we have to live in the balance. This is what we... Sometimes I feel like that's the hardest faith fight of all of them. Romans chapter 6 verse number 1. I love this. Paul, he must, he must have preached grace on a level because people asking questions like this. So what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The Amplified says, what shall we say to all this? Are we to remain in sin in order that God's grace and favor and mercy may multiply and overflow? Another translation says, shall we persist in sin that the gift of grace may be more abundant? The message says, so what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? The passion says, so what do we do then? Do we persist in sin so that God's kindness and grace will increase? You know, there's people that preach this. It doesn't matter what you do. Just go ahead. Yield to whatever you want. I'm going to make some statements here. Hang on. Because you're not going to be satisfied by the end. You're just going to have to come back. <laughs> if you want to know the answer. <laughs> or study it yourself. 
Grace is neither an opportunity or an excuse to live in sin. True Holy Spirit understanding of grace is the realization that you have to receive your salvation by faith, not works. And in this reception of grace, you were empowered to live dead to sin. Or we could say, we are empowered to give our souls and members to righteousness. A true encounter with the grace of God produces a desire in the heart of the believer to steer clear of sin and sinful lifestyles. A true encounter with the grace of God produces a desire in the heart of the believer to live as close to God as possible. In our thinking and in our members. In the spirit, we're what? We're one, right? We've been baptized into what? One spirit. And then we know after we're born again what needs to take place. Our mind needs to be renewed and our bodies need to be controlled. Now I'm going to make a, I'm going to read verse 2. We're not going to go into it because I don't have time. And I'm going to go back and give an overview of what, what we're going to get into in Romans 6. Boy, I can feel like a little bit of like, man, come on, just keep going. I want to know the answer. You, you'll get it. You'll get it. Stick with me here. Paul said, shall we live in sin? What is God's response to living in sin after a believer uh, is born again? Put up uh, Romans 6, 2, please. Romans chapter 6, just the next verse, verse 2, if you will. Go to uh, the New King James. What does that say? Oh, no, it doesn't matter how you live. What does it say? The, just leave that up if you would. Don't, don't take that down. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? It actually means God forbid. Now look at the next part of the verse. How shall we who live any longer in it? Might want to change our conversation. How we talk about sin. You know... uh, There are uh, some translations that I've looked at in the past and currently that the Lord is having me remove out because they won't talk about sin. They don't talk about repentance. They don't talk about sin. Now, on some points when it comes to understanding who we are in Christ and the new birth, some of the statements are really good, it seems like. But there's such things around it that are just bother me. That the Lord's like, nope, you can't do that anymore. You, you can't, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta move this to the side. 
They treat sin as a thinking problem rather than I need to be born again problem. They don't talk about hell. They don't talk about judgment. They certainly won't talk about wrath. You know, we got to live in the balance of the word. And there is balance. And there are answers. And they are here. And we can live in it. Amen? Because we can certainly not live in sin. How shall we who died to sin, what, live in it any longer? I don't know about you, but that sounds like you better grow up. (laughs) Let me give you an overview for what we're going to get into next week. The great theme of Romans, God's method of making sinners righteous, continues in chapter 6. Earlier, the epistle showed God how God changes a man's position. Now we learn how God provides for a change in man's condition, experiential sanctification. The former chapters dealt with the pardon of sin's guilt. Now we learn of deliverance from sin's power. One of the last verses in chapter 5 states, where sin abounded, what? Grace did much more abound. Some have wanted to use this and other verses to prove that, it, that uh, justification encourages sin. They say if the guilty sinner is declared righteous solely by faith and not by works, then let us do evil that good may come. Those are quotes from the scripture. If the more heinous the sins, the more abundant the grace to pardon, then may we not go on, then may we not go on in sin that the grace of God may be the more magnified. I don't know about you, but when I got born again, I did not think, woohoo, I can go do whatever I want. I mean, what was being preached? And what spirit did they receive? Such was the slanderous accusation that the Jews made of Paul's teaching. He defended the doctrine of justification against the charge that it encourages increasing sin in order to display grace more abundantly. This defense is the doctrine of sanctification. The truth is set forth perhaps more completely in Romans 6 than anywhere else in the scripture. There are two divisions in the chapter and both are introduced by a question. Paul answers with the firm statement, God forbid, because there's another one later. God acts not only to bring a person into right relationship with him, but also to enable that person to act according with that relationship. This means that God deals with the power of sin through Christ and the Holy Spirit. Grace not only deals with the penalty of sin, but as we will see in this this section, with its power as well. It is by grace that the penalty of sin is canceled through justification by faith. And it is by that same grace that the power of sin is dealt with through what we call sanctification. The work of God in us to produce increasing conformity to the image of Christ. Specifically, Paul will show in chapter 6 how the work of Christ made righteous living possible and in chapter 8 how the Holy Spirit makes it a reality in the experience of the believer. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, the process of sanctification occurs. There is also a temptation to see justification 
as a divine initiative. Listen to me now. Remember I said legalism and lasciviousness. We dealt with lasciviousness, now we deal with legalism. There is also a temptation to see justification as a divine initiative and sanctification as a human endeavor. What Paul will make clear in chapter 6 is that we become like Christ only as we are joined to him or as we are in Christ. In other words, the grace of God continues to be available through Christ and that grace affects the change in us. It is the Holy Spirit who transmits this transforming grace. The imperatives in chapter 6 to right thinking and right acting stress our responsibility to respond to grace and cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit. So say this with me as you're standing and we're closing. Say this with me. Say, I am empowered to live above sin. This is what you're going to find. This is what you're going to understand. You have the power to live above sin. Now, in no way am I implying that you have to earn your salvation. Again, this goes back to Ephesians chapter 8 and and verse 10, verse 8, 9, and 10. You don't work for your salvation in verse 10. You work from it. You know, I have a simple way of looking at this, a simple way to answer this question. If you don't think sin still has a consequence, just start lying to everybody you know. Come on. Do you see that? It still has a consequence. But you are empowered to no longer, if you're born again, You'll no longer be a liar. Grace not only came to you while you were completely filthy and didn't deserve anything, and you received that grace by faith in salvation, then it that grace makes its or Christ makes his permanent home in you and then empowers you to live lust free. Oh, this is good news. Because, no, I mean, I've had to, you know, the Lord led me in places where I, I started to realize I don't have to be addicted to anything. Because, listen, the resurrection of Christ empowered me to beat it. You say, how? Because Jesus beat it. Jesus won the gold medal and then gave you the prize. You say, what do you mean he gave it to me? Well, he didn't need it. He had no sin. He gave you the victory. We have to, through experiential sanctification, what? Walk in obedience. We walk by faith, not by sight. We walk from that grace within us and we conquer our enemy. Come on, people are like, well, I'm not addicted to any drugs, preacher. Okay, gossip. Okay, bitterness, unforgiveness. It's not fairness. It's got to be some disease somewhere, right? You know, I deserve this. 
pride. Lustful eyes. I'm not just talking about sexually. Well, if I had their house, if I had their family. There is grace to overcome. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're in this place today and you don't know Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to receive him as your Lord and Savior. It's very simple. In order to get into heaven, all you have to do is be perfect. (laughs) So far in my walk on this earth, and I'm only 45 years old, I have not met one perfect person. So Jesus came and was perfect for you. So that if you would receive him as your Lord and Savior, you could go right into heaven, into the presence of God when you pass from this life. Not only that, but the spirit of heaven will come within you. Christ will come within you and live with you in his spirit, in your spirit today. So if you're in this place and you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, I want to give you that opportunity. I just want you to raise your hand where you're at. I will look and I will pray with you. Is there anybody that would like to receive Jesus? Guys, you'll be checking online if you see anybody. Yes? Is there anybody else? You can receive Jesus today. Know that you're going to heaven. All right. Let's do this. Let's pray together. Say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Jesus is my Savior. I believe that Jesus Christ went to the cross for me and went to hell for me, paid the penalty for my sin. I receive you, Jesus, as my substitute for judgment and my Savior in resurrection. I'm born again. Holy Spirit, change my insights. Give me a new heart. I am born again. In Jesus' name, when I pass from this life, I'll go right to the Father and live for eternity with Him. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, second time, third time, whatever, I want you, we have altar care workers up here. Please come up. They have, uh, let them know that you prayed that prayer. We have a new believers packet that we'd like to give to you. And uh, it's full of great information, including this card in there called Starting Point. There's a great information on the back. We have a bunch of new believers classes that we want you to go through. They're listed there in the order to go through uh, them with. Please do that. Please be a part of that. It will help you in your spiritual growth. God bless you guys. Have a great rest of your week or beginning of your week. We'll see you Wednesday. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.